All right, good morning, familia. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, and I wanted to welcome you all to Witten Bible Church. Whether you are worshiping here uh, with us in person or you're worshiping with us online, we want to say that it's always a pleasure when you uh, uh, choose to worship uh, with us as a congregation. Just in case uh, you recognize my voice but you don't recognize my face, it's me. <laughs> I'm like Clark Kent. Put the glasses on and nobody, <laughs> nobody knows who I am. Um, for the last few weeks, we have been doing a series called Gospel Culture, in which we are looking into 12 different biblical traits that help us with three things as a church. Number one, it gives us a definition of what it means to be a biblical church. Number two, it gives us a blueprint of the things that we need to believe and practice in order for us to experience a spiritual renewal. And number three, uh, it gives us the tools necessary in order for us to remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of a changing society. So let me uh, start by refreshing your memory and some of the topics that we have been talking about. A biblical church must believe in the supremacy of the scripture, the centrality of the gospel, the power of prayer, the pleasure of worship, the pursuit of the common good, the significance of leadership, the practice of the means of grace, the discipline of generosity, the urgency of evangelism. Last week, Pastor Phil talked about the priority of community, and today, based on Acts chapter 2, verses 5 to 21, we're going to be looking into biblical trait number 11, which is the beauty of diversity. Now, if you have been in the church for a while, or at least in the last five years, you have heard us talk about this concept at least once a year. And usually when we have talked about this, we have applied the concept of diversity uh, mainly to multi-ethnicity since we believe that the Lord has called us to be a church that reflects our community more and more. Today, though, I want to talk about diversity, but from a wider perspective, not just to talk about diversity from a multi-ethnic perspective, but multi-everything perspective. So these are the three questions I'm asking the text today. We're going to talk about why diversity, why beautiful, and why embrace it. So I need you to do me a favor, look at the person next to you, and, and if you want, only if you want, you're not forced, only if you want, could you please tell the person next to you, there is beauty in diversity. Go ahead, go ahead. You know, I'm standing here, and I feel that I'm off. Now I know why. Is that good? Much better. All right. Let's, let's talk about the first point. Why diversity? Why diversity? Why diversity? Um, let, me add a, let, me ask, let me add a question to that question. Why would I dare to say that to be diverse is an evidence of a church being biblical. Why would I dare to say that part of what it means to be a biblical church is to embrace diversity? See, part of the reason why I'm asking that second question here is because every time I've spoken about this subject, someone either sends me an email or sends me a really nice letter asking me if we are becoming either more liberal or more progressive. Part of the reason why I'm asking that question is because people have asked me if when we talk about diversity, we're talking about diversity because we are trying to catch up where the culture is. 
Like if the church is supposed to catch up to the culture, we get to influence the culture. Part of the reason why I need to ask that question is because every time I preach about this, someone has asked, are you talking about this because you are a minority? And the answer to all of those is no. I'm not talking about this because we're moving liberal or progressive. I'm not talking about this because we are trying to catch up to where the culture is. I'm not talking about this because I am a minority, but certainly it helps. <laughs> Part of the reason why we are talking about this is one simple answer. It is a biblical concept. The Bible talks about, it makes it extremely clear, and that's why we are reading Acts chapter 2, where the church began in the New Testament. We have already used Acts chapter 2 when we're talking about the means of grace, a section of Acts chapter 2, but today we've got to go back, because if you want to see how the church looked in the first century, if that is the model of what the church ought to be, you have to go back and see what the Spirit did in the first century church known as Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is coming down. The disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues and the, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, it's important that we make a distinction when they're talking about speaking in tongues here. It's different than what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 when Paul talks about speaking in tongues. What we see here in Acts chapter 2 is the disciples speaking empowered by the Spirit in such a way that the Spirit empowered other people to understand what they were saying in their own language. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, is speaking in angelic language, Paul says, which is a completely different thing. If you want to see what that looks like, what you guys are going through right now as I preach this sermon is that, Acts chapter 2. God is allowing me to communicate in a way that you understand what I'm saying, even though I have a Latino accent. Does that make sense? <laughs> and someone says, I don't understand. Well, bro, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. <laughs> I want you to see, though, what the church looked like in verses 5, 6, and 11. And this is where we start to see the beginning of the multis in, in Acts chapter 2. So, for example, in verse 5, it says, oh, I skipped a verse. It says that in Jerusalem, there was God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Notice that everyone understood. The disciples are preaching and speaking, and everyone understood. And it says that this is Jews from different places meaning Jews that have been born in other places and spoke different languages and now are being united by the power of the Spirit as this brand new, beautiful, diverse community. But I want you to see that the text says that it was not just Jews that came together to create this new community. It tells you that part of this new group, this new, this new community, were people that had converted to Judaism that now are getting converted into Christianity. We see that in verse 11 when it says, Both Jews and converts to Judaism were there declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And we hear declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? That's a really interesting question, don't you think? 
part of the reason why they're asking the question is because no one ever in that context, in that time, has seen something similar to what the Spirit was doing. See, Christians at that moment are living in between three worlds. The Jew world, the Roman world, and the Greek world. And in none of these three worlds, in these three cultures, none of these people would have ever seen anything close to this. Because the interaction between these different groups were always superficial. They always had to do either with business or labor. Or labor. There was no social or friendship relationships between any of these groups. Once again, all interactions between these worlds were superficial. No one in the first century church, no one in the first century would have ever seen what the Spirit was doing with this brand new community people in which people of different races and nations and languages and cultures and ethnicities are coming together. Actually, this is so unusual, so strange, that the people are looking at them and saying, are these guys drunk? Did you catch that? The Spirit is doing something so unique that people think that they're drunk. This is why Peter responds and says in verse 15, these people are not drunk. As you suppose, it is only 9 in the morning. I know that for a drunk, per a drunk person that doesn't matter. But apparently in that time, people would never be drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. These people are not drunk, you suppose? It is only nine in the morning. No, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And there's a couple of things that I want you to see there. Number one, notice that this new community is an evidence of the presence of God. Notice that this new community is the result of the Holy Spirit moving in the midst of his people. This is what Joel says. This was promised 400 years before Pentecost. And Joel says that one day, the Spirit will come and create this community that will bring all kinds of different people together. Now, there's an implication for that, you know? And I want you to listen to me really well. If what the Spirit does is to bring different people together, we resist the spirit when we resist or reject diversity. Let me say it again. If what the spirit does is to bring different diverse people together, to reject that or to resist that is to resist the Holy Spirit of God. Because the community of faith is not a community based on preferences. The community of faith is not a community that is surrounded only by the people we like or look like us or smell like us or eat like, the, like us. The community that the Holy Spirit creates, it's a community that everyone looks different. The second thing that I want you to see there is the word drunk. Because I find it interesting that these people are looking at this behavior and they're saying, well, they look like if they're drunk. Now, Paul has used that concept before in Ephesians chapter 5, 18, in which he says that we shouldn't get drunk with alcohol, but we should get filled or drunk with the Holy Spirit. Now, I, want, I don't want you to miss this, church. 
the Holy Spirit is doing something so beautiful, so amazing, that this beautiful, diverse community are displaying something that people think that they're drunk. You know, why would the Bible use that word? Here, have you ever seen a drunk person? Have you ever been drunk? Don't answer that question. <laughs> See, a drunk person is not afraid of public shame. How do you know? Shame on you, people. <laughs> That's one of the evidences when someone is drunk. No shame. No public shame. Someone that is under the influence of alcohol to such a degree that they really don't care what people think of them. That's why people do foolish things, embarrassing things, or irresponsible things, because we don't care if you are under the influence of alcohol. And yet, we have a bunch of people that are filled with, with the Spirit, that are experiencing something so amazing, so beautiful, so powerful, that they display joyful fearlessness. No public shame. That's what I want for our church. That we embrace what the Lord has created in such a way that there's no public shame. There's a second thing that I want you to see with the word drunk. See, if there's anybody here with a medical background, you know that the problem with uh, being drunk or alcoholism is that alcohol is a depressant. And someone would say, that's not true, Hannibal. I've been drunk and I'm super happy. No, that's not what I mean by depressant. See, alcohol is a depressant because it depresses part of your brain functions. You know what that means? That it numbs part of your brain and it doesn't allow, it doesn't allow you to see things the way they are. It makes you senseless thoughtless, reckless, and yes, you might be happy, but you're dumb happy. You see it? That's what happens when someone is drunk with alcohol. But being drunk or filled with the Spirit is actually the opposite. This is a group of people that can see the beauty of what the Lord is doing. This is a group of people that get to experience what the gospel does. This is a group of people that can see and experience beauty in diversity without beauty and uniformity. This is a group of people that can actually enjoy the multiracial, multinational, multilingual, multicultural, multiethnic community of God without any public shame. To the point that everyone is saying, they look drunk. What is beautiful is that Acts chapter 2 does not stop with ethnicity or race or culture or language. Actually, if you keep on reading, you will see that this new community is also diverse in gender, male and female. It's diverse in age, young and old. And it's also diverse in social class. Where do I get that from? Look at verse 17 and 18. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit in all people. Can you say all people? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Verse 18. 
Even on, my, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Can you see it? That's what the spirit does. It brings all kinds of people together. That's what the presence of God does. It brings all kinds of people together. Male and female before the Lord with the same value and the same importance. Young and old come before the Lord with the same value and the same importance. People of different backgrounds come before the Lord with the same value and the same importance. People of different social class come before the Lord with the same value and the same importance. That's what the Spirit does. That's what the gospel does. It unites people that, that wouldn't be together any other way. I love the way John Stott puts it in his commentary on the book of Acts. He says, Pentecost symbolized a new unity in the spirit, transcending rash, uh, racial, national, and linguistic barriers. Nothing could have demonstrated more clearly the multiracial, multinational, multilingual nature of the kingdom of Christ. The phrase all people means not everybody irrespective of the inward readiness to receive the spirit, but everybody irrespective of their, of their outward status. And then he says, there are still spiritual conditions for receiving the Spirit, but there are no social distinctions, whether of sex, your sons or daughters, or of age, your young men or old men, or of rank, even on my servants, both men and women. Diversity is an evidence that God is present. Diversity is an evidence that God is working Diversity is an evidence that the Spirit is doing something. See, as I'm reading, I'm prepping for this sermon, I found myself kind of praying for this. Praying that the Lord gives us a church that we can, in which we can embrace, honor, and accept one another. Praying for a church that the Lord allows to experience more and more what the church experienced in the first century. Praying that, be, that we don't become colorblind, church, but that we become colorful. A church that understands that every ethnicity has its own splendor, and we best display the beauty of God better together than separate. I pray that the Lord continues to give us a church in which males and females are appreciated and respected and honored. A church in which we understand that as male and females, we complement one another even though we, are, we have different roles. I pray that the church give us an understanding um, that every stage in life is important. That it doesn't matter if you're young or old, there is always beauty in the age in which you find yourself in. A church that loves and cares and protects the young and a church that loves, cares, and learns from the maturing adults. I pray for a church that is not divided by social class, preferences, political views, or traditions. And you are entitled to have those. But those things are not primary. I pray for a church that is drunk with the Spirit. And that we can see the beauty of what the Lord creates. Here's a question. Am I being idealistic? 
Am I asking for us to be something that we cannot be? And the answer is this. I don't think so. I just want us to be like the church in the first century. I'm not adding to that, and I'm not subtracting to that. I'm asking us to become a diverse church, multiracial, multinational, multilingual, multicultural, multiethnic, multigender, male and female, multi-age, young and old, multi-social class, multi-gift, multi-ability, multi-everything. Because that's what we see in the first century church. And that's what the Spirit does. Can we get there? I think so. If we understand that this is truly beautiful. It's not just beautiful because of the way things look. But it's beautiful also because of what it signifies and it represents. I'm going to give you three arguments based on Acts chapter 2. Why that kind of community, diverse community at all levels is so beautiful. Number one. It's beautiful because it marks the beginning of a new era. See what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That phrase, in the last days, is, is saying that when Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came, Pentecost, that was the beginning of a new era. When, it, when, the, when the Bible uses the, the phrase, the last days, are saying that we are all living in the last days. Since that moment until Jesus comes back. We are part of something new. We are part of something beautiful. We are part of something powerful in which the Lord says that he is making all things new until Jesus comes back. We are part of a, of a movement in which diversity it's an example of the power of God. This is the beautiful thing about diversity in the church. That our unity is not superficial. Our unity is supernatural. You know why? Because the Spirit does it, not us. You don't, got to, you don't get to choose the people in this church. God chooses people for you. Sometimes we think that God is making mistakes. But I guarantee you that he's not. The part of the beauty in a church is that we are beauty in diversity, not necessarily beauty in uniformity. The unity of the church in diversity is important. We are part of a new era. Number two, this uh, diversity is beautiful because um, this diversity is part of the, the restoring presence of God. Let me give you this verse. Genesis chapter 11, um, verse 7. It says, come, let us go down and confuse the languages so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from over all the earth. Do you guys remember where that come from? Tower of Babel. You guys remember that? All humanity, I want, they want to be like God. So they spoke one language and they decided to build this tower so that they could reach to heaven and be like God. Which is kind of a crazy, ridiculous thing to do. And yet the Lord says, if I don't intervene, nothing is going to stop them. And he does this. He changes the languages. And he separates them. 
And the same God that did that in Genesis chapter 11 is the same God that we find here in Acts chapter 2, part of this new era in which God, instead of dividing people, are bringing people together. Uh, this community is an evidence of the restoring, repairing, rebuilding kingdom of God. See, secular people talk about inclusivity all the time. Actually, one of the criticisms against Christianity is because we're not inclusive enough. You know what's ironic about that? That they are inclusive as long as you believe everything they believe. That they are inclusive as long as you agree that there's no absolute truth. So the message is that we are not tolerant, and I would say that's ironic because I feel that you're being a little bit intolerant toward me. Christianity, on the other hand, brings people in. Listen up. Just as they are. But what the gospel does is that it doesn't erase who you are, but renews who you are. Listen up, church. In the gospel, we have a new identity that doesn't erase our, any other identities, but it puts them in order. Therefore, we are first Christians and then everything else. Therefore, I don't have permission to not like you or like, not like any other person if they're different than me because your primary identity as Christian and my primary identity as Christian is that we are Christian. Everything else is secondary. Listen up. Let's apply that to males and females. When you became a Christian, you didn't stop being a male or a female. Actually, the Lord dignifies and gives value to the fact that you are a male and a female. But it reminds you that your primary identity is not that you were created as a man or a female. Your primary identity is that you're a Christian. Actually, we have historical evidence about this. Remember how I mentioned the three cultures in which these Christians are, are, are part of? Every single one of those three cultures, the Jew, the Roman, and the Greek, they mistreated women like if there was no tomorrow. So, for example, the Jews, every man, every morning, will make this prayer, which is a crazy prayer. Lord, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. See, the Jews, the Greek in that world would think that women were only good to work. But the man was not even required to be faithful to his wife. He had permission to find pleasure anywhere else. And for the Romans, women were treated almost like slaves. And here comes Christianity. And it says that male and females are the same, with the same value and dignity. That we complement one another even though we have different roles, but we are with the same value and dignity. So it corrects the thinking of the Jews. And it teaches men to be faithful to their wives. We corrects the thinking of the Greeks. And then it corrects the thinking of the woman and saying that our women are not slaves. That they have the same value and dignity like any other human being. And that's what the gospel does. It elevates your identity as a Christian, but then it also elevates your identity for, uh, for the way the Lord created you to be. He just puts it in the right order.
We could apply the same thing to ethnicity, you know? Your primary identity is not your race or your ethnicity or your culture. Your primary identity is that you're a Christian. And yet, we can embrace who the Lord made us to be. Listen up. And you don't have to change. Like, we're not supposed to be a melting pot. Have you ever tasted a dish in which all the food tastes the same? That's nasty. <laughs> and yet, when you have a good dish in which the meat is the meat, the potato is the potato, the salad is the salad, the rice is the rice, the barbecue is the barbecue, mm, that's a good dish. <laughs> that's why I think that racism and prejudice and classism is such an offense to God. Diversity is the restoring presence of God. We can apply the same thing to age, you know? Our culture says that we, our modern culture says that we embrace everybody and we treat everyone equal. And yet, the message is that the older you get, the less value you have. You know how I know that? Because we are part of a culture that is obsessed with a surgical knife. Maybe, maybe getting old is not as good to them. But for Christians, every stage in life is beautiful. And the older you get, the more you have to contribute to the kingdom of God. Don't you think that diversity is part of the restoring presence of God? Now, why would people become this? Well, the, the third reason why this diversity is beautiful is because it's an evidence of the gospel. Acts chapter 2, verse 11 says that both Jews and converts to Judaism heard them declaring the wonders of God in their own languages. Did you know that the phrase wonders of God in the context of the letter, it has to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? His life, death, and resurrection. What changes people is not that we try harder. What changes people is not that I invite minorities into my home. What changes people is that I'm going to try hard not to be a racist. What changes people is when you embrace the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and who you are in him. That's what changes people. The gospel has the ability and the power to create two unions. A union with God and a union with one another. The gospel is about two unions. Union with him and union with one another. We are united to people of different races and nationalities and languages and cultures and ethnicity and gender and age and social class and giftings. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I have more in common with a person that is a believer that looks completely different to me than what I have with some of my family members. You know why? Because with family members without Jesus, I share the same blood. But with a Christian in Africa, I share the same father, the same brother, the same spirit, the same faith, the same love, and we have been purchased by the same blood. 
why would I not love someone that is completely different to me, but that was purchased by the same blood? What God brings together, no man should separate. You heard that, church? Why should we embrace this, then? This is the last question. I think I gave you plenty of reasons why you should embrace it. I think that we should embrace this because this is what the Spirit creates. And this is what the Spirit does. I think that we should embrace this because this is a reflection of the new era that the Spirit came to bring. I think that we got to embrace this because this is an evidence of the restoring power of Jesus. I think that we got to embrace this because this is what it means to be transformed by the power of the gospel. But there's one more reason why we should, as a church, believe and embrace this. Because this is part of how we bring healing to this creation. You know where I get that from? In Acts chapter 2, verse 20, this is part of the prophecy. It says that the sun will turn to, the, to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. That's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he tells you that as Christians, you have been set apart, called into the presence of God, uh, put together in this beautiful, diverse community. So we get to contribute to what the Lord will be, one day do uh, and we get to model what the new community of God supposed to look like. Not only by the things we proclaim with the gospel, but by the way we demonstrate the power of the gospel. So if you are participating in the Bible reading plan, I love it when I'm reading my Bible in my regular devotional time, and I'm already thinking of the sermon, and something in that Bible reading connects to the sermon for Sunday. So if you are doing part of our readings, you read this this week. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says this. That God's intent was that now through the church. Can you say through the church? The manifold wisdom of God should be made known. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul tells you that the church is a church in mission. The part of our mission is to show the world the manifold wisdom of God. Did you know that the word manifold is the same word that the Bible uses to talk about colorful? It says that the church has the responsibility to show the world the many colored presence glory of God. You are here for something much bigger than just your own personal happiness. Our diversity is missional. Our diversity shows the world that we have a God that can reconcile things. Our diversity shows that our God is in the business of bringing different people together. Our diversity is a reminder that we don't have, that's not, even our diversity is not our primary identity, but that Jesus Christ and who we are to him is our primary identity. That's why we can take any other identities and put them in the right place. 
Listen to what John Stott says. The church, as a multiracial, multicultural, multi-age community, is like a beautiful tapestry. Its members come from a wide range of colorful backgrounds. No other human community resembles it. Its diversity and harmony are unique. It is God's new society. And the many-colored fellowship of the church is a reflection of the many-colored or many-splendored wisdom of God. Don't you think that it's great to be part of the church? Let's not separate what the Lord brings together. May the Lord grant us to become this more and more. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that you don't erase, that you don't take from us who you made us to be. But we are grateful, Lord, that none of those things matter as much when we know that we have a bigger, a bigger and better identity, which is to be in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that as a church, we get to embrace those two identities, who we are in Jesus first and everything that you made us to be second. Because, Lord, I am convinced that the only way we're going we're gonna to be able to... Uh, influenced and shaped culture is when we live in here what you called us to be. Allow us, Lord, to please demonstrate to the world to the world the manifold wisdom of God. Help us, Lord, become what you already made of us. In the name of Jesus we pray. And we all say